Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. All right. Well, hey, it's good to be here. It's exciting to be uh, with our church family today. And uh, have you come to hear the Word of God? Yeah, amen. Uh, We are uh, just excited that we can make this the main part of our gathering every single Sunday. And uh, as you can see, um, if you're new to our church or um, if you're just here uh, today, we are starting a new series that uh, we've entitled The Table. And uh, it's not often that we have a table up on the stage, um, but uh, we, are, um, we are starting this series because what we see is that Jesus was someone that uh, often gathered people around tables. Uh, often, uh, especially in the book of Luke, which we're going to be focusing on in the next few weeks, uh, we see him uh, pictured as either going to a meal, um, sitting at a meal and having conversations, or coming from a meal. Um, it seemed like he was just like eating and drinking with people all the time. And many of the accounts of Jesus are, are pictured with him surrounded with friends at a table. Um, it was actually, if, uh, if we go to our passage this morning, it was something that he gained a reputation for as well, because he invited pretty much anyone to join him around a table. And so as we, as we get into this series, uh, what we're going to see is that God can use our tables as well as a place of ministry. And that uh, Jesus, as he welcomes you to his table, he also calls us to welcome other people to our own tables. And it becomes a, a place that we can be evangelists and show the love of Jesus to those that are around us. So let's pray and uh, let's just ask God to, to teach us through his word and have his way with us as we begin this series. Father, thank you for this time that we can spend in your word. We know that uh, Jesus, you are the lover of sinners, the lover of those who are far from you. And so, Lord Jesus, as we gather around this table, we uh, thank you, God, that you are our example. Lord, thank you for showing us the love that the Father has for us. And uh, God, we pray that through your word, you might open up our eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, if you got your Bibles, turn over to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 is where we're going this morning. And um, this is a passage that uh, may be pretty familiar to you. It contains three stories. And I want to tell you a little bit of, bit of a background behind these stories. As you can read in Luke chapter 15, and this won't be on your screen quite yet, but um, when, once we get down to verse 11, we'll, we'll start the scripture on the screen. But read with me in chapter 15, Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 1, we see where these, these stories that Jesus told came from. It said, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, just think about about the criticism that, that Jesus was getting at this point. Jesus had gained a reputation, and it wasn't a positive one in the religious community because he was known as the rabbi who ate and drank with sinners. Actually, if you, if you read in the book of Matthew in chapter 11, they actually called him a drunkard and a glutton. 
How do you get a reputation like that? Unless you're sitting and drinking alcohol and eating with people that don't have good reputations. Jesus gathered with these kind of people. And it specifically mentions in the text that he gathered with the tax collectors and sinners. Now, the tax collectors were known by society as the ones who kind of screwed people over. They, uh, I, I know it's tax season, and thankfully we don't fully have this right now, but I, I really don't want the IRS knocking on my door, okay? But uh, these tax collectors, what they did is they were sellouts to the Roman government. Jews that kind of sold out, and basically the way that it worked was, was that a tax collector would say, hey, um, they, whoever had the highest bid for collecting taxes, that's the person that they would go with. And so whoever collected the most taxes for the Roman government, that's the one who got the job. And so what this people would do is, is that he would, he would charge exorbitant tax fees on everything. He would give some of it to Rome, and then the rest he'd put in his pockets. And so you can, you can understand why these people were hated by the society of that day. But these were the kind of people that Jesus chose to associate himself with. Now, if you think about it, if you invite someone over to your home, or sit down with them at your table, what does that communicate? If I'm sitting across from someone that uh, doesn't have a good reputation or is known for something, something that uh, is, is not good in town, what does that tell about my intent in my relationship with them? It tells you that uh, I want to be friends with you. I want to associate with you. I care about you. I love you. And that is exactly what Jesus was trying to communicate to those that he sat down across the table from. But it was also something that was severely misunderstood in the day in which he lived. And I guarantee you, if Jesus was here today, and Jesus was your pastor, you would probably have the same kind of criticism for him. Don't doubt that. It says that the Pharisees and the scribes, they grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And so to this criticism, what Jesus does is he, he tells them three stories. He tells them the story, first of all, in verse 3, he told them, it says a parable. And these are stories that, that he made up uh, to, to illustrate a point. He first of all began with the parable of the lost sheep. You probably are familiar with that one. A shepherd has a hundred sheep and uh, he loses one of them. He leaves the 99 to go and seek after the one. And when he finds the lost sheep, he calls all his friends and his neighbors together and he says, rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. Then he tells another parable. It's a parable starting in, in verse, verse 8 of, of a woman who had 10 silver coins. She loses one of them. And she, she doesn't stop. She, she cleans the whole house, okay? Maybe you're wishing that someone would lose a coin in your house because you need to clean your house. But, you know, he, she loses her coin. She sweeps the house, works and works until she finds it. And once she found it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I've found my lost coin. Okay, so we've gone from 100 cares about the one. From 10, cares about the one. And now then we see in verse 11, he starts a parable of what we know as the prodigal son. Parable of the prodigal son. And this is, this is a story that, that I know that uh, if you grew up in church, you probably are familiar with 
or at least maybe have a general sense of, we, we use a word, the prodigal, we call it call prodigal, you know, maybe a son or a daughter who has kind of just left their roots, left, their teach, left the teaching of their parents, maybe run off and just lived, lived a wild life. Um, and that, that is the story that we are familiar with in Scripture, the story that Jesus himself told. Now, um, when we think about that, that word prodigal, what, what I need you to know is this is that Jesus, when he is telling this story, he intended for you and I to actually find ourselves in the story. Jesus, when he told this story to the scribes and to the Pharisees, he intended for them to find themselves in the story. And so, um, often as, as we read it, just, just so you know, oftentimes we think that the prodigal son is the main character of the story, that, that this is a story about the prodigal son. And if, if, if you don't think it's about the prodigal son, maybe some people think, oh, there's another character. There's the older brother. Uh, maybe, maybe this is a story about the older brother, but can I tell you, it's not about specifically a story about the prodigal. It's not specifically about the older brother. It's a story about the father. And Jesus told this story about the father so that we can know and understand the love that the father has for both the prodigal son and for the older brother and for his desire to have both of them gather around his table. He wants them both. And so as we read this, just know this, first of all, we are meant to find ourselves, and so, so just, just say this out loud, I am a prodigal. I'm a prodigal, okay? I'm a prodigal. Let's, let's read about ourselves, because he meant for us to see ourselves in this verse 11. He said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a share of the property that is coming to me. Now, if you think about this, what, what is the son asking? He's asking for his inheritance. And how many of you know that, that you don't receive an inheritance unless the father dies? Now, you don't, you, you're not supposed to receive it until that happens. No. But what the son is asking for is he's asking for his inheritance. He's asking for, Father, I want what I have coming to me after you die. Give it to me now. I want to live in a world as if you don't exist. Father, you are dead to me. Can you think of a more evil, wicked thing for a son, especially a son, to say, this is, this is the father who gave, gave life to you, and you wish that he was dead, you wish that he was gone, you don't want him anymore. But can I tell you this? When we say, I am the prodigal, what we need to know as we find ourselves in this story is that whether you realize it or not, we say the same thing to our father whenever we choose to sin and go our own way. What scripture says in Isaiah is that all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Scripture also said, says, for, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have a desire to just go our own way, do our own thing. And what that, what, what that ends up looking like is that that ends up looking like we are we're acting like we're trying to live in a world as if God does not exist. When we say, I'm going to do my own thing, I'm going to act my own way, I'm going to live however ever I want, I'm going to do me. I'm going to live my own truth. We're saying to God, I don't care about your truth. I don't care about your way. 
I don't care about your plans. I'm a, I want my own way. And so when, when we do that, we are just like the prodigal, saying, I want all the benefits of the world without you in it. Father, God, you're dead to me. A lot of us live that way. And even, even as, as followers of Jesus, maybe we live on a Sunday, oh, God, I want you, I want you, I want you, but, but, but Monday through Saturday, we're living the complete opposite way. God, I don't need you. And what the, what the, father, what the father does, the way that he responds to the son is this. It's not, not a way that we, do, we would expect. We would expect, expect that father to take his son, and even though he's a grown boy, take him over his knee and start whapping, you know, just like slapping that out of him, man. But that's not what the father does. Think about that, okay? No, he, he, it says that he divided his property between them. He knew that this son was not ready, not responsible enough to, to, to receive this inheritance yet, but he gives it to him anyway. And guess what the son does? Does exactly what we would expect. Not many days later in verse 13, the younger son gathered all that he had And he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. He squandered it. Notice where he went. He didn't just move out of his father's house. He didn't just leave his father's house. You know, he went to a far country. That was a statement. When you leave leave your family, if if it's a way that you're like, I don't want to be around the father. It's basically saying to the father, Father, I don't want your... Your, your religion. I don't want your rules. I don't want your authority. I don't want your permission. I don't want you anymore. He went to a far country. He left it all. And it says that, that he squandered his property in reckless living. Okay, I'll tell you what, he had some fun. He had a lot of fun, okay? He had, he had a ton of money and he just spent it all, okay? I'll tell you what though, the pleasures of sin are real, but the pleasures of sin don't last. And we see that in the story, they don't last. And in verse 14, it says, And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. He began to be in need. He'd lived it up, and he went from having everything to then now having absolutely nothing. All of his friends had left. All, the, all those that, that had surrounded him during that time when he had all that, all that money, man, they just like, no, we're not helping you anymore. You're not our friend anymore. They weren't true friends. But, but I want you to think about this in, in the way that we live here on this earth as well, because as Jesus meant for us to find ourselves in the story as a prodigal, what we often do is, is we follow the lie that, that we can live like that sometimes. Maybe you're not reckless financially, but, but, but in your mind, you continue to pursue and pursue and pursue something that you think is going to satisfy. The son moved to a far country. He's like, I'm, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to get away from my father's house, away from my father's rules, away from my father's authority. And don't we often do that as well? We pursue things that we think will satisfy. And the devil is a liar. And often his tactic is like a, like a bait and a switch. Think, think about what, what the devil did to Eve in that Garden of Eden. He said to Eve, I just eat of the fruit. God knows that when you eat of it, you will become like God, right? And that, that often, I, I believe, if you think about the things that we pursue, 
we have this natural tendency to want to be our own God, whether it just be having control of our own life or the acquirement of money and wealth and status, fame, power, our desire often is to be like God. Even, even if you think about the technology that you attach yourself to in your life, or your social media, or your, your statuses, your posts, you're like, man, I want to be like God. I want to be famous. I want to be powerful. I want to be influential. And yet here we are, and once we get it, oftentimes we feel more empty than we did before we even had it. Think about some of those things that, that you pursue. Maybe, maybe it's been alcohol for you. If you're an alcoholic, you can never have too much. Maybe if, if, it's, if it's been drugs, man, you're, you're always looking for that next high. What if it's a relationship? If it's a relationship, man, you're seeking guy after guy after guy or girl after girl after girl. And once, once you get it, you're not satisfied. Can I tell you, even a spouse? We're having a wedding after church. Okay, we're celebrating this. But can I just tell you, even for Stephen and Linda, I'm going to tell you, your spouse will not satisfy you. It's, it's still, you know, you're looking for someone to complete you, but your spouse cannot complete you. Only Jesus can complete you, can fill that void in your soul. The devil is, devil is a liar. Even just think, think about what you do in life and, uh, by way of your education or your career or where you want to get financially. Man, once, once, you, once you worked so hard to get there, were you satisfied? Think about it. No. No, you weren't. Because either there, there's a next level that you're trying to get then to, or worse, you're miserable now because maybe you got in over your head. We're all like the prodigal in that way. We're all seeking that far country. And yet the Father sometimes lets us do that because he wants us to get to a place where we realize it is better in the Father's house. Read with me. There was a famine in the land, okay? He began to be in need, verse then 15. And so he went and he hired himself out to the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. Now this is just a side note but this is a Jewish boy or man by this point, and this would have been worst case scenario for them. They were not allowed to be around pigs. Pigs were unclean. They were not allowed to eat pork. And so for Jesus to tell this story and say, yeah, he got a job feeding pigs, worst case scenario. Okay, this is bad, okay? Understand the culture of that. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. Think about this. He hit rock bottom. And God allowed him to do that. Father allowed him to hit rock bottom, knowing that he, he was going to end up there. But sometimes for us, the only way that we learn that it is better in the Father's house is by actually hitting rock bottom. Because his son couldn't learn it in the Father's house. He couldn't have even learned it in the prosperity of the far country. No, he had to learn it in the pig pen. And this story, as we go on to verse 17, becomes then the story of repentance and salvation. Because as we read on in verse 17, Jesus is showing, 
the steps that the prodigal took then to come back to the Father, and the steps that we also take in repentance of our own sin, our own waywardness, our own desire to be God of our own life. Verse 17, keep on reading, it says that when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? So he made a plan. I will arise and go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. I want us just to go through these, these things that, that this, this son said because as we, as we know from the scripture, Jesus' intent was to show us a heart of repentance. You know, repentance is a word that is necessary for the gospel. Without repentance, there is no gospel at all. Repentance is a word that often the church doesn't use a lot of times, but we use it here at Valley Church because it's a gospel-centered word. Repentance means to turn from your sin, turn to the Savior. And so, so if we see the steps that the prodigal took, we, we see, first of all, that um, he, he admitted his own sin. He admitted his sin. He said, Father, I sinned against heaven and before you. And you and I, if we think about, think about that in our own lives, our sin is not just against someone else, it's against God. I sinned against heaven and before, before you. And he, he, he confessed that sin. That, that was step number one. He admitted his sin. Second, second thing is that, that he, he you know, turned and re- returned to the Father. And at the same time, then number three is that he, he turned from his sin. He left the pig pen. So, so two simultaneous steps. He turned and he went to the Father, but he also at the same time left the pig pen, okay? Can I tell you, there is a big difference between remorse and repentance. Can I tell you the difference? You can feel remorse about your sin, but still stay in the pig pen. But repentance says this. Jesus said, he said, come follow me. And so if you're repenting, what you're saying is, I, I don't want that anymore. I am turning from this and I'm turning and I'm coming and following Jesus. That is repentance. And repentance is necessary if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. You can't receive the gospel unless you repent of your sins and follow Jesus. Jesus' call to his disciples was, come follow me. And so can I ask you, in your own life, as, as you consider what you are dealing with right now, the temptations, the struggles, what you, are, what you are pursuing right now in your own life, what does repentance look like for you? What does that look like for you? If Jesus were to say, come follow me, which he calls you to, what do you need to leave? What do you need to forsake? To come and be a follower of Jesus. Let's keep on reading. So he's rehearsed this whole speech. And now it's time for him to leave. It says that he arose and he came to the father in verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion upon him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now think about this, man, the love of the father. Everyone say this, the father is watching. The father is watching. He's watching. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for his prodigal son. And some people think, man, God, God has forsaken me. God has left me. God has not left you or forsaken you. You left him. Look at the parable. Look at the parable. Come to him. Come to him as you are. 
Okay? And the father saw him, he felt compassion, he ran, and he embraced him. Okay? This was like the biggest hug you could ever imagine. Okay? But do you think that the son stunk like pig manure? Yeah, he did. Okay? And the father embraced him as he was. Okay? With, with that garment that was so stained by manure and just disgusting and filthy. He welcomed his son how he was. And that, that is something that you need to know as, as, as someone, if you're seeking Jesus, you don't need to clean yourself up before you come to him. No, you come as you are. He embraces you as you are. Scripture says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's a picture of the Father's love. And that's what this story is about. Next, we see what happened. The son starts rehearsing his speech. He says his speech to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father cuts him off, verse 22. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Let's just back up a little bit because this shows the heart of the father. Three things that this father gave to his son. First thing was the father said, uh, quickly, bring a robe. Bring a robe and put them on him. Okay, and so, so I, I'm sure there was this scene where, where this, this new, brand new robe was, was brought and put upon the son. Maybe his old robe was, was stripped off and burned and thrown away. And this son is standing here in this brand new robe. He's like, thanks, dad. He's like, get a ring, put it on, put it on him. Okay, this was not just a fashion symbol. Okay, there was, there was something to it. Okay, if you, if you back up, actually, let me explain the robe first. Okay, the robe was a picture of what? If we think about the symbolism of it, it's a picture of, of you know, royalty and the righteousness of Christ. That, that your, your sin, your shame, your dirtiness is covered up, and that's what Jesus has done by his blood. He, he has covered us, and so when the Father looks at you, he sees his son Jesus. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. If you've received him, if you've accepted him, it's a free gift offered to you by the Father. Okay, the second thing was the ring, though. Think about that. Not just a fashion symbol. It was a symbol of status symbol that, that I am a part of this family. Because a ring often had a, a signet upon it, and it came with authority. And so, so when the ring was put upon the son, it was the father saying, you are my son. You're part of the family. <laughs> you've, you've, you've come back. You are a part of the family. And so all, all the rights and the privileges and the status of being in the family is yours just as it is the other brother, just as it is to me. You are part of my family. You are my son. Okay, so there, there's, the, there's the robe. There's the ring. Third, there were sandals. Maybe your translation says shoes, okay? Here's the significance of that. Servants didn't wear shoes. Notice how, how the father stopped the son in mid-speech. What did he not get to? Read it again. He said, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. What was the next part? Make me like one of your servants. And the father stopped him. He's like, no, you're not a servant. You're my son. He brought out, brought out the sandals. He's like, put, put them on. Put them on. 
You are not a servant, you are my son, and he restored his standing. That's what the Father does for you. He restores your standing. He gives you the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness of the Father, and then he celebrates. He celebrates with a big meal. They, you know, he throws a big party. He opens up the table. He invites his friends and neighbors. He kills the fattened calf, okay? This is something that, that didn't happen often. This was a celebration that, that was just special. And we see that if this was one of the other parables, it probably would have ended there. Maybe Jesus would have given a tiny explanation. You know, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 who don't repent, you know. Um, but look at, look at this, though. The parable goes on. And I, I believe there's a reason for this. And we don't, we don't actually often get to this section of the parable. Often we stop it right here. And we never learn about the older brother. We never learn about his response. And I believe that Jesus went on because these other previous parables... Even though he was very clear about the meaning, if you just read it, you know, the, with the parable of the, of the lost sheep, he explained it and said, just so I tell you, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. In the, in the parable of the lost coin, Jesus explains it to these Pharisees saying, just so I tell you, just so you know, there, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. He's trying to tell them, man, I, I love the sinner because he's coming to me as, as they are and they're repenting of their sins and they're coming and following me. But I believe that maybe up until this point, these, these parables kept on going over the heads of the Pharisees and the scribes, okay? And I don't want it to go over yours because here's our tendency. Maybe you came to Jesus and like you know you're a prodigal. I don't know if it was hard for you to say that this morning. I am the prodigal. But we, we all are. We all are. But sometimes we forget. We forget about it. And often our tendency, especially in the church, is to come to church and kind of act like the older brother. Let me tell you about the older brother. Jesus goes on and says this. Now the older son was in the field. And he came and drew near to the house. And he heard music and dancing. <laughs> I mean, this is a party, okay? All right. And he called one of the servants. He's like, what's going on? My father's lost it. And he called one of the servants and asked, what, what, is this, what does this mean? What do these things mean? Okay, what, what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. But his father came out and entreated him. And he answered his father, look, these many years, man, I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It is fit fitting that we celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost 
and it's found. Think about the response of the older brother. Because it's very obvious as we read this parable that Jesus was speaking specifically to the scribes and the Pharisees and, and even to us if we're finding ourselves in the story of those that would consider ourselves to be better than, than others and more deserving of God's love and grace than others that may be still struggling and walking through sin and, you know, revolting against God, walking away from God actively. You know, it, it hurts us, and, it, you know, as, as we see others not following God and, and living the way that we do, sometimes as followers of Jesus, we think we're better. Or maybe, maybe you compare yourself to people within the church, and you're like, sometimes, you know, the closer that you sit in church, the more spiritual you are, okay? <laughs> sometimes we just rate each other spiritually, don't we? We just sometimes just do that. And can I tell you, that's wrong. And Jesus is telling, telling the scribes and the Pharisees, this is wrong. You consider yourself to be better than someone else. And that's wrong. See, see the, the problem with the older brother is that he was trying to earn the father's love. The problem with the prodigal was that he was running from the father's love. But the point of the story is this. Jesus loves both. The, the, the you know, self-righteous son, older brother, and he loves that sinner, the prodigal. And he wants them both to sit down and enjoy the banquet at his table and celebrate. And what you notice at the end of the story is this. God's desire is that these Pharisees and scribes would write in the own ending for themselves right in the ending that they desired. You, you notice how it ends. We, we don't know if the older brother actually sat down and joined the party. We don't know if he sat down across from the prodigal son and, and they, they, you know, they were a happy family again. No, we don't know that the story actually ends that way. It's actually left open-ended. I believe it, it's because while we can't change our past, we do have the ability to change our response in the future. And that, that's for us as a church. When we see a prodigal coming to faith in Jesus, let's maybe change our older brother attitudes and let's rejoice. And let's be the ones just like the father who are, who's out there just seeking to save the lost, calling those people, eating, eating with those that, that maybe we're, we were thinking we're better than. You're not better than them. Actually, you're self-righteous. We're all undeserving. We're all prodigals. We're all far from God, but for the grace of Jesus. So I have a question for you as, as we end, as we even think about our own tables and how we gather together um, in our valley with people that may be far from God. Who do you think that you would want to greet you if you came as the prodigal came home? Would you want it to be the father? Or would you want it to be the older brother? Let's write that answer ourselves in our own hearts and as Valley Church. And let's decide we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate when the lost come home. Yeah, and and we're going to celebrate, especially when even ourselves, we come to a place where we're like, yeah, yeah, you know what? I'm no better than anybody else. We're all here under the grace of Jesus Christ. We're all welcoming you home. And so as we close today, let's, let's consider that and let's choose our own response to this story 
And let's be those who seek and serve and send people in this valley with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the good news. Welcome home. Welcome home. That's our desire. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this story. Thank you, God, for your word and for your example in Jesus Christ, the one who would eat and drink with sinners. And so, Father, today as we leave from this place, as we end out with a worship song, as we even celebrate, celebrate a wedding, Lord, and rejoice, God, I, I, I know that there's a response that we need to make to your word today. And so if there's anyone here that uh, maybe is just feeling like, man, I've been running from God, been trying to satisfy myself, running from the Father, wanting my own way, living maybe a self-righteous life or trying to do things my way or trying to earn the favor of the Father. God, I want to pray for them, God, that they might just receive your love, receive your grace here in this moment. And God, that, that uh, if they don't know you as their Savior, especially, Lord, they would turn in faith to you and say, Lord Jesus, would you save me? I repent of my sins, and I'm coming and I'm following you. I'm going to give all those things up because I, I want your robe. I want your ring. I want, I want that new standing as your son, as your daughter. God, thank you that you welcome us home when we simply repent of our sins and turn to you. Whether we're the older brother, whether we're the prodigal son, God, you're waiting and you want us to sit at table with you. Thank you, Jesus. So I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here right now that that just uh, wants to, to come to you and come to your table and become part of your family right now, if there's any of you here, let's just take a moment between you and God Just repent of your sins. Place your faith in Jesus. I'm just going to give you a moment of silence right now, simply just to repent. And turn turn your heart back to the Father right now. Just give a moment for you. on praying if there's anyone here who'd like to receive Jesus as their Savior who feels far from God. Why don't you just look at me? Raise up your hand and just say, yes, yes, I, I need the Father. I want, I want to come back to Him. I want to lead you in a prayer to just, just repent of your sins and trust in Jesus. If that is you, just raise up your hand. Let me know you're here, that you want me to pray with you. Praise God. Pray with me, Father. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for waiting for me to come back home. Thank you for embracing me as your son, as your daughter. I know that I've sinned against you. I know that I'm not worthy to be called your son. Thank you, God, for saving me, for redeeming me, for for giving me a new robe, your righteousness for making me your son and your daughter, for giving me a new standing in your family, Jesus. Thank you. I don't deserve it. And so, Lord, right now, I want to just follow you. I want to live my life for you. I want to be your disciple. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you were impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.